was about 13 years ago. I think I had been to the gym that morning and gotten a workout in and had come back to my apartment and was getting showered and getting ready to go about my day when I walked into the closet in my apartment and said, wow, things are different. See, the thing that had happened that had made everything different was my lovely wife had moved into my apartment. We were newlyweds, and I don't know why, but one morning as I was getting ready, it dawned on me that there was now double the stuff in the apartment. What was once my full closet was now my one-third of a closet, maybe one-quarter of a closet. And make no mistake, I definitely upgraded when I went from a roommate from college to Amanda. It is not a complaint, but it was a change. And what I started to realize in that moment is that whenever two people come together in marriage, their lives start to get intertwined in every sort of way imaginable. We know this, right? Our work, our finances, our schedules, our plans, our families, all these things start to get intertwined and start to come together in their own unique ways where we start to see my life is no longer my life, but in, an, in, in a sense, this other person's life is now my life. Amanda was teaching, and as some of you that are teachers know, particularly the early years, that first year of teaching can be uh, uh, challenging. I mean, all years of teaching are challenging, right? But that first year and doing lesson plans and having to do all the grading and all the things that she had to bring home. And there were, we, we developed a routine where I would help her with some of her work that she would bring home in the evenings. Her work even became my work. And if this is the case in marriage, this is also far greater the case than what we see how, for us as followers of Jesus, his work becomes our work. You see, what we're seeing as we make our way through the section of the Gospel of Luke is that Jesus is not looking for people who will uh, assent to what he teaches and say, yeah, that sounds right by my account, or who will nod in admiration at his great works, but he's looking for those who will follow him, for those who will be transformed by him, for those who their life, their purpose, their work will become what his life, his purpose, his work has been. And we see these are married together in a wonderful way as he works in our lives. We are united with Christ in the work that he is doing in the world in introducing the world to himself. So what this passage shows us is that we are brought together with Christ in his work, his mission, and we are compelled by his heart. We are brought together with Christ in his work, and we are compelled forward by his heart. This is what we see in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 24. I invite you to follow along as I read this passage, and as we see our Lord instructing those who would follow him and what it means to follow him and to make his name known. Beginning in verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him 
two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the, in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. This is God's word. May he write its truths upon our hearts this day. God's work that he gives us, God's heart by which he leads us. You can say it, Jesus' work that he gives us, and Jesus' heart that he gives us. 
So first, verses 1 to 12, this work of Jesus that he commissions his followers to. If you remember where we are in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has called disciples to come to him. He's calling people who would want to follow him, and he is giving them marching orders. He's giving them instructions on what it means to be a follower of his. So if we resume this series in the Gospel of Luke last week. I recommend that if you want to get your bearings and, and, and hear Jesus say some absolutely outrageously astonishing things uh, uh, beyond bold about what it means to actually follow him, go onto our website and listen to the sermon from last week and, and, and get situated into the context of where we are in this passage. But here, Jesus is continuing this along, and he's, if last week was, here's what you must understand about following me, this week is, here's what you must proclaim as a follower of mine. And now, when we start talking about proclamation or evangelism or sharing the gospel or mission or any of these terms, many of us start to think, okay, that, that stuff's for the, the super-Christians. That stuff is for the ones that, that, that are of a skill level of, of an expertise, of a capability that is beyond my reach. And yet what our Lord shows us here is actually that it's a responsibility that we all have if we will profess to being followers of His. But it's also a blessing that He gives us because in it we see His power at work and we feel and we know His heart as it ministers in power to us. So we're learning about following Jesus by urging others to become followers of Jesus. So verse 1, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Remember, Jesus has set his face to go to Jerusalem, where ultimately he will be taken up. He'll be crucified, he'll be resurrected, he'll ascend to, to heaven, to the throne of God the Father. And he is kind of making this crisscrossing journey to Jerusalem, and he's, and he's sending out messengers to go into towns and places all on the way there to tell them that they might proclaim to the people, the kingdom of God is coming, the kingdom of God is coming, that they might make known that the Messiah is going to pass through. And that's why we see a lot of the urgency of this passage. You see, he tells his followers, don't take knapsacks, don't take extra sandals, do this, do this, do this. I don't think we take this as instruction for how we do mission in our day. We, take it, we, we can pull principles from it, but we don't prescribe it. Because what we see is a, a direct, urgent message that Jesus was going. It was, it's as if, uh, if, if Jesus was leaving Boston, was going to be traveling down 3A or going across the South Shore, and, and we've only got 30 minutes, we've only got an hour, we've only got limited time to tell other people, hey, he's coming, get out to 3A that you might see him. You're going to act with a little more urgency, with a little more, with a little more um, significance to what you're trying to communicate in that moment. But there are principles, there are things that we must take from this. And first of all, first of all that we see is that our Lord commissions us in this work, and He calls us to the task of prayer as we will share the gospel. Brothers and sisters, you see that. He said the harvest is plentiful in verse 2, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. You know, it's interesting, as he sends out laborers, he prays, or he tells them, hey, pray for more. You know, there's not a lot of times where Jesus gives specific instructions to his followers on how to pray. 
And yet here's an example. Pray for more laborers that they may go out and share with others this message of my coming. So often, my prayers are more Stephen-oriented and less Jesus-oriented, less God-glorifying-oriented. God, I've got a big day today. I've got this thing on my calendar. I've got this appointment. I've got this, I've got this thing happening in my family. I've, I've got whatever I'm trying to navigate or this concern that weighs me down. I really need your help with that. Nothing wrong with praying that. Yet how often, as we think of this, do we pray for the Lord to bless our efforts in proclaiming His kingdom, to send out more laborers, to bring more laborers to join us in this work of sharing the hope of Jesus Christ, the peace that He brings with those in our community. We must be careful that our praying does not turn into uh, thinking we're rubbing the, the little bottle that a genie comes in. And we're trying to coerce God's favor while not seeing God's purpose that he would have for us. You catch that? So he says, pray that laborers, pray to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And this is interesting. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know, we're not praying to a passerby like, hey, if you can help with this, we're, we're trying to share with others this hope of Christ. If, you, if any way you could help us, God, that'd be great. No, he says he's the Lord of the harvest. And he says it is his harvest. This week, the Lord mercifully convicted me in my praying that I have far too small of a view of him. I was praying for my own efforts to share the gospel with non-Christians in my life, as well as praying for our church's efforts. And I realized that I had fallen into a rut where I was kind of saying and thinking, Lord, it's, it's, it's too hard. People have little interest in you. It's so great of a task. Maybe many of the things that you think or maybe many of the things that you pray. But in my mind, as I'm saying these things and I'm crying out to God, in my, in my, in my heart, I'm also thinking, Lord, it's just too difficult. I don't know that you're up for it. And yet he shows us he is the Lord of the harvest. And he sends out laborers to the harvest. And, and dear church family, do you realize by our being gathered here today, some 2,000 years after this exhortation that Jesus gave, 2,000 years after the exhortation, some 5,500 miles from the location where he gave this exhortation, you and I, this church body, gathered here, we are a living testimony to God's faithfulness to send out laborers. We would not be here if the message of the kingdom of God had not been proclaimed across land and seas, traveling centuries, reaching across the barriers of language and culture. God in His goodness, the Lord of the harvest, has brought laborers that have brought the message to us. Let us continue on in this work. This is what a follower of Jesus is given to. And so, may we see that if we are to be followers of Jesus, we will be proclaimers of Jesus. You know, sometimes we can develop a mindset in our own hearts, or in our, our mindset in our minds, not in our heart, a mindset that just subtly understands our relationship to, to Christ and to His church as something that we 
we come and, and, and receive. And as something that we take and get, we get the spiritual fill up when we need it. We, 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 we get what we need, we get out, we, we do this, and, and yet what our Lord shows us is that, no, I actually call you to myself with a purpose for making my name known. And therefore, that, that, that demands, that requires an obligation, commitment on your part towards this task of gospel proclamation. And so our Lord says, Pray for there to be more, har- more, more laborers to join us in this work. But he doesn't, he doesn't just give us prayer, he gives us preparation. The Lord Jesus gave instruction to his followers. Beginning in verse 3, Go your way, behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, greet no one on the road. You see all of these instructions. Walk into a house, peace be to this house. Remain in the house, eating and drinking what they provide. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter town, if they receive you, you know, set, eat what's set before you. You know, you do all these things. Now, once again, there's a lot of this that is given the urgency of the situation as presented here. Elsewhere later in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 22, Jesus will tell those who are going out in his name to take their money bag. And so it's like, is he mixing his message up? No, it's a specific context here of what's happening. But what we see here is that our Lord gives instructions, gives preparation to his followers as they seek to share the gospel with others. And the message that he gives us to proclaim is this message of peace be to this house. You see how you walk in and you say, peace be to this house. Now, in all the times that I have ever tried to share the gospel with others, I have never walked into a house and done that. And probably you haven't either. It'd be an interesting way of going about it. But, I, but, but this is what is happening culturally in this passage. The people of Israel, the people of Judea, they yearned for peace. They were under Roman occupation. They worked long hours, unending days in the hot sun. They endured injustices under the hands of their oppressors. They labored in trying to, trying to, to, to provide for their families and their homes. They felt the weight of not being near to God as they tried to do their sacrifices or as they had grown disconnected or dis, dis, uh, 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 distanced from the people of God. And the message here is a message of God coming to them in Christ and giving them peace. God coming to them and and meeting them in mercy. God looks upon all who comes comes to Him in repentance and faith and He calms the raging storms of hearts. He says to hurried, anxious minds, I am your Creator, your life giver. The sovereign who reigns over all things. Jesus was journeying to Jerusalem that you may rest in his finished, perfect work, his righteous life, his atoning death. In our place condemned he stood. That we may rest in this work that enables us to come to him in perfect peace. See, we struggle to, 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 to recognize the peace that Christ gives, I think. 
in one sense because we reduce the gospel down or we reduce the effects of the gospel. Let's say it this way. We reduce the effects of the gospel to, okay, Jesus died for my sins. He gives me new life. And, and I know when I die, then I'll be with him in heaven. All of this is true, but it is not the, the, the only power, the only significance, the only importance for our lives as followers of Christ. See, we have a message that what we see in, that Christ offers is a message of peace. And we live in a world that is starved of peace. Anxieties run off the charts. Discord, strife, strain in relationships, pain in, in, in our circumstances that seem unrelenting, that seem crushing. And the message of the gospel is a message that God has come to you. And where your heart feels no peace, or your heart chases after peace in all of these different places and cannot find it, Christ Himself is your peace. There's a scene from the movie Dunkirk, released about five years ago, um, where, you know, if you're familiar with the, the rescue uh, on the beach there in Dunkirk, uh, there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of uh, British soldiers Allied soldiers in World War II kind of pinned. They're, they're trapped on the beach, uh, and, and German uh, forces have them pinned to the beach, and, and, and there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to go. The, the, the homeland across the English Channel is way too far to swim. They don't have boats. They have no way of getting there, and they just feel the strife. They, 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 they hear the gunfire. They see the enemy aircraft flying over them. They're literally kind of marching, wading into the ocean, nowhere to go. And you know what happens in the story, right? Home comes for them. There's a scene where uh, Kenneth Branagh's character, he's, he's kind of a commander. He's standing on this pier out in the ocean. They're, they're, they're waiting for home, and there's this line that's said a few times throughout the movie. Uh, uh, it's so close, and yet we cannot get there. It's so close, and yet we cannot get there. And you see where he's looking, and he gets his binoculars, and he looks out. And the other guy standing beside him says, what do you see? And he says, home, because he sees the boats coming from Britain that are coming to rescue those who are trapped. This message of the gospel, this hope of the gospel is that, that, that your pains, your struggles, your heartbreak, your sorrow, that refuses to give you peace. Jesus Christ has come and traveled a distance that we could not give, or that we could not travel. And He has revealed to us in Him peace everlasting. This is this message of peace, and this is what He uses us to proclaim to our neighbors, and to the world around us. So he commissions us ahead in this, path, in this message. But in his graciousness, he not only gives us this work, but he gives us his heart. This is the second part of the passage that we see in verses 13 to 24. 
We see this in seeing his concern and our confidence. Over these next 12 verses, verses 13 to 24, we see something absolutely fascinating. You and I get unhindered access into the very heart of our Lord. First, look at his grief. Look at his angst over the refusal of some towns to turn to him. Verse 13, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works that had been done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. Chorazin and Bethsaida, they were Jewish towns. They were contemporary towns in this day. Same with Capernaum. These were places where Jesus had worked great miracles. Bethsaida was where he fed the 5,000. Capernaum saw miracle after miracle after miracle. And yet the people said, thanks but no thanks, Jesus, on following you. Thanks but no thanks on understanding you as the one to whom we, or through whom we are reconciled to God. The one who can give us peace. We're going to keep seeking peace outside of you. And Jesus references Tyre and Sidon, two, two uh, places way back six, seven, eight centuries prior that were destroyed because of their unbelief and rebellion against God. And Jesus says, they would have, if they had half the information, if they had seen me like they would have seen, like you've seen me, they would have come. But you, in your stubbornness and your hard heartedness, you want nothing to do with me. It's as if Jesus gives this exhortation. And then the exhortation is illustrated in the revelation of his heart. He looks around at, yes, the sinfulness, the rejection of him, of all these people who are near enough to him to see him, and yet far enough from him in heart to disbelieve him. Dear listener, we so easily reduce Jesus to what we want him to be in our minds. To what we want him to be that accords with our desires, our plans, our goals, our thoughts for our lives. A Jesus that is easy to know and light on the demands that he places upon us. A Jesus that fits in line with our personal spiritual desires while not having any great cost to ourselves. And Jesus says, this is not me. Woe to you if this is the case. Would you come and see and find the real Jesus? And look, there's something interesting that he says in verse 16. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. 
And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So remember I gave the illustration at the beginning about Amanda and I, our life coming together and me saying, okay, I, we're, we're connected here and now what's hers is mine, what's mine is hers and, and this is all partnered together. What we see here is that, and, and I'm arguing here that Jesus does not give us the work of proclaiming and sharing the gospel with others as an optional add-on for like Christianity 201 or 301 or 401 or graduate level or PhD level Christianity. No, he gives it to us as followers of his and what we see here is that he says actually you are the means by which i do this you see that you see this in verse 16 the one who hears you hears me the one who rejects you rejects me the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me referencing god the father and we can hear this and say okay this is a great responsibility placed on my shoulders but we can also hear this and say this is a great encouragement to our hearts if we are the means by which our lord proclaims to others and and, and are introduced to his love to his grace to his peace he will bless and use our efforts dear church he will not watch us try to share the gospel with others he will not watch you as you trip over words trying to share with that family member or neighbor and say, ah, I need to call in someone else that's better, got a better grasp on this. No, he has equipped us. There's a video I, I saw a number of years ago from a uh, Coldplay concert where I, uh, four or five children, I think they were the children of the members of the band, uh, they were on this song, that Coldplay was playing at this music festival, I think there were, gosh, 50, 75, 100,000 people there, and they're playing, and the, their kids were going to come up on stage and lead in singing one of the choruses to one of their really well-known songs. And I can't help but thinking, okay, if I was 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, I would be terrified singing in front of 50, 75, 100,000 people. Any of you want to do that? But then something happens whenever they start singing. They get up there. They weren't terrible. They, they, they seemingly were very comfortable doing it. But what happens is Chris Martin, the lead singer for Coldplay, he sings along with the kids. And the people in the crowd start, they're, they're singing along. They know the song. They're singing with the kids, but they're also singing with Chris Martin, who's the lead singer. Dear Christian, when you strive to share the gospel with those around you, our Lord, in the mystery of his grace, he sings along with you. And he uses maybe you're off-key. Maybe you feel like you're stumbling over words. He anoints and blesses and uses those to introduce others to the peace that he offers them. He uses us as his messengers commissioned by him. And in his kindness, he doesn't just give us an exhortation where he says, you go do this. No, he shows us the gravity of, of, of the work as, he, as we see his concern. But he shows us the wonder of the work as we see this confidence that we get. In verse 17, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So they've gone out, they've gone traveled from town to town, village to village, and they come back and they say, huh, it really worked. Lord, even demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I don't know if this was something he saw in eternity past 
or if he literally saw it as a, a, in his supernatural state as, as an example of the power of the kingdom of God advancing through humble messengers like you and I. I think it's the second one there. But he says, I, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And he says, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and all over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. This is really good. Jesus basically says, you cannot fail in this task. Nothing will undo you. Nothing will stop you. And he says in verse 20, but nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Huh, the wonder. They come back and they say, we are casting out demons in your name, Jesus. Look at this. He says, that's good. But you want to know what ought to cause your heart to flutter? Your names are written in heaven. You belong to me. Grace is unending unmeasured, fully abundant and free, measured upon you day by day by day, poured out upon you, excuse me, in the love of God my Father. You will arrive one day to heaven. And I don't know how it, will, how, how it works. Are there, are, there, are there gates there that St. Peter is keeping like, like the books? I don't know, but you will arrive and he will open the gate and say, oh, look, there you are. We've been expecting you. Come on in to the joy and the rest of your Lord. And he says, I, I think what he's implying here is that if you try to do this work in your power, your power will run out. But if you are captivated by the wonder of the gospel, and the wonder of the grace that has come through Christ's death and resurrection in your place, then you will live. And your heart will beat in obedience to him, sharing this message with others. And now there's an application for us as a church. We pray for our growth. We pray that God would bless our evangelism. We pray he would bless our sharing of the gospel with others. The truth is, of, of the demographics of where we are and the time in which we live, do you know that more people have left the Christian church in America in the last 25 years? It has been the greatest spiritual movement in American history of people leaving. Far greater than the gains of the first great awakening, far greater, far greater than the gains of the second great awakening, far greater than the gains of, 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 of the baby boomer era, far greater than all of these times together is the great dechurching of the last 25 years in America. That would lead us to believe that we will not be bursting at the seams anytime soon. And yet, I think we can faithfully understand that as we go about this task, that we can take heart that what? Our names are written in heaven. You know, our Lord, th this is his pattern. He gives us his works, but he gives us his heart. And what we see here as well is, you know, 
it's really good that these disciples, these followers of his, we don't even have their names. They don't come back and say, hey, we got power over demons. We have all this power. Look at all that we can do. And he doesn't say, yeah, you are really talented. You are really gifted. I am glad that I brought you into my, into, into my line of disciples. He doesn't do that. Because what he does is he wants to strip us away of any notions of, 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 of self-confidence that would rob us of reliance upon him. And he'd want to grip and, and, and take hold of our hearts in a manner where he would actually say to us, you know, the peace that you seek in life that you don't feel because your professional life isn't playing out quite like you want or, like you, want, or, or you don't feel because um, um, your, your, your children are making decisions and going about life patterns and directions that trouble you and you're asking yourself, have I failed as a parent? Or you don't feel because your marriage continues to be stuck in neutral and not progressing forward. Or you desire to be married, but you can't find that mate. Whatever it is about us that we kind of build these ideas of what life needs to be for us to be successful, Jesus disabuses us of all of these and says, your hope, your confidence, your comfort, your peace is not in what you can do. It is in the fact that your name is written in heaven. And let me tell you, it is written in heaven permanent ink. And it cannot be erased. And so in this message of bringing us in to the work of gospel proclamation, our Lord gives us gospel illumination and our hearts seeing the glories and the wonder of the work and the message that we proclaim. Our hearts beating with the hope of a Lord who has brought us peace. Look at verse 21. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All these things have been handed over to me by my Father. So no one, and no one who knows the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Just a little reminder yet again, the Son uses our words, and He reveals Himself and the Father to whom He pleases. You cannot fail proclaiming His message. All you can be is faithful. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you, many prophets and kings, these of Old Testament lore, they desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. He has invited us in to a wonderful task. And he says it's a great task. It's a daunting task. It's an overwhelming task. But let me give you something that will sustain you and guide you as you go. It is nothing less than my own heart. Our Lord is faithful in that way. He brings us Himself. He brings us to follow Him. He gives us what on the surface is a difficult commission. But he gives us a delighted heart 
his heart that is set in love upon us. May we see the work that he has given us and the heart that sustains us. And may he bless our service and obedience in following him. 